Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. This week we talked to Andrew Heaton and we asked the question, is political correctness going to kill comedy? We also discussed for the very first time his early stag films from the 1970s. Check it out. supposed to be entertaining okay all right i dig it i like the pump andrew heaton so Matt kibbe so i'm a i'm a bit of a fanboy I've, I've been watching your stuff for years thank and, you and uh this is going really well so far you I'm are one I... of you are one of my favorite libertarian comedians thank you well which, there's only three of us so well, i feel like like yeah. that's that's not a right. huge compliment but i appreciate it yeah <laughs> so there's there's two others that i love as well so mm-hmm. um but there's only three so yeah you get that, but the, the, well, the nice thing too is that like, uh, okay, like I do you know Lou Perez? Yeah, yeah. Like I had somebody ask me one time, like, oh, like are you guys competitors? And I'm like, the, no. There's like, there's three of us. We're fine. Like he can take the entire East Coast, and I can you, take have, the West Coast. We're, we, have we you divided the world? Yeah, we just into, divide into, it up. Like I get Scandinavia, slices. he gets like like the, whatever colony there is in Argentina. It's right. It's great. We've got like an Illuminati thing going on in the yeah, background. Yeah. But you, um, so I want to get a, a little bit into your personal history. But the the question we have that 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 I want you to solve is whether or not comedy can save the world or conversely has um, social justice warriors and political correctness, have they killed comedy, which means, of course, we're all doomed. Right. Um, Yes, it can save the world. And I do not think political correctness is helping it tremendously. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we're living in a really weird time from a comedy perspective. In that when I was a kid, um, I grew up in, in Oklahoma in the 80s, which is basically like the 50s for anyone else. So I'm, I'm functionally from— Was it actually in black and white? It was in black. Yeah, we didn't get Tentacolor yeah. until uh, uh, Governor Boren. So yeah. like, I, like I, you know, first six years of my life, all black and white. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, The Simpsons was like very risque. Like it was on the edge. And the people throwing hissy fits about it were the moral majority. And they were, you know, like how, like he said, butthead, and like there's a like a gay couple or what, whatever the thing was at the time. And the progressives at the time were the ones going, "It's a cartoon. Calm down. It's just, it's not an exegesis. It's a cartoon. Calm down." And that has completely flipped to now where it's like, well, you know, Apu is portraying a an immigrant in a a, a, a less than ideal job. Um, therefore, this like all this, and, and it's the conservatives now that are going. It's a cartoon. Yeah, why? Why yeah. are you worked up about this? Uh, I I think in general, the more sacred cows you have, the harder you're going to have a time of being funny. Mm-hmm. I think that's pr- part of the reason you don't see a lot of social conservative comedians. There there is like a a kind of interesting bandwidth for Christian comedians that can do churches, yeah. and uh, and I know a couple, and they're very funny. But generally speaking, though, if you get up and you're like, I can't say anything about Jefferson because that guy's a founding father. They'll get mad at me. And I, I'm seeing that proliferate on uh, a lot of progressive uh, comedians, and uh, I don't I don't think it's going to aid them too much. Um, plus, we're going for like lap, uh, we're going for for applause a lot right. of the time, right. which I also don't think is the goal. Um, you're supposed to be going for. But can I say where I think it can help? 
Yes. Because I've really been ranting for like five minutes now. I, I appreciate it letting me just talk. Up. I'm just running out the clock until it becomes noon so we can drink whiskey. Yeah. Excellent. Good. That's all I'm doing yeah, as yeah. well. I'm just yeah. like just, just blathering until I get to have a drink. Um, there's, a, there's a really good comedian named Chris Bliss, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, he is... Um, he does some political stuff. I think he's very much in favor of the Bill of Rights. He's, he's, he's uh, I'd say he's almost certainly very progressive, very democratic, but a big fan of individual rights. And he's got a good TED Talk where he talks about how um, comedy is a very good way of uh, putting forth an idea that would otherwise be unreceptive to somebody. And, and that's very much been my experience. I mean, I, I started out doing stand-up here in Washington, D.C., and I've done a lot of political stand-up here. And uh, one of the, the jokes that I do when I'm in D.C., is I'll say, um, I really like how open-minded liberals are about things they already agree with. And it gets a great laugh from the liberals in the audience. Like yeah. they, they, yeah. they appreciate it in a way that I don't think would, would come across well if I was just like, I don't think you guys are that, like if I was arguing, it wouldn't work. But I find that when you're, when you're doing comedy, if it's funny, people will almost always go, okay, I'm going to put on this hat for 35 seconds to the end of your punchline. I'll try out this idea with you. And then, and then they're done and they'll take it off. But there is this brief period of time where you can communicate ideas. And I think that's very, very useful. Yeah. So it's, it's afternoon. Oh, good. And, and thank I mean, God I'm done. I, I mean, I I mean that, that was super interesting, but, but I, I feel like we should have a drink. I agree. And you're a Scotchman, right? I am very much a Scotchman. Yes. I figured because it, I mean, it is my blood type at this point in my life. It's a, although in that jacket you could wear bourbon, I suppose. I do. I look like a bourbon drinker. I look like I should just be like, you know, Matt, that's a good point. Let me just pull out my banjo and like strum a few tunes about comedy for you. If you're listening to this, you're you're probably blessed because because Andrew has picked out an interesting um, yeah, combination. Uh, I'm I'm wearing um, a, a white window pane blazer with a like kind of a cotton candy tie, so I look like a. Um, I look like a bluegrass performer on Easter in the South, uh, is about how I look at the moment. Which is, is kind of a niche fashion statement. Is that fair to say? I, I feel like I am a fashion leader. I'm bringing waistcoats back. I'm bringing all the stuff back. There's, there's all sorts of great things to, to hop on the heat and train to see yeah. what happens next. How, uh, do you have, cheers. Cheers. Do you have um, a lot of fanboys that are, that are showing up at your, at your concerts wearing waistcoats now? Not yet, but I look forward to that. I haven't done as much live performance as I used to do, um, yeah. partly because I'm in Dallas and I just don't have the opportunity to do it anymore. Uh, I was going to come up here to D.C. and I wanted to do a an audience show, which I think would be a lot of fun. And I'm curious to see what we didn't have the infrastructure to do it in the, in the amount of time that I had uh, this time around, so we weren't able to pull it off. But I'm very curious to see what that's like when when uh, heat, heathens, heatens, heatnites. I'm not sure what my my group would be called when they start coming out of the woodwork. Heathenites. I'm thinking like I'm guessing waistcoats, and like heads. a lot of horse humor is yeah. my my suspicion as yeah. to what that would look like. Is like a lot of like shirts with horses on them. I yeah. think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to see that when it happens, mm-hmm. but. But let's. Um, um, I was just. I just did a deep dive on you, and I found oh, some. That's good stuff. Thank you for that, yeah. Dalmore. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Cheers. Um, I did a deep dive on Andrew Heaton, which I don't recommend to the audience. Uh, don't. Uh, yeah. Because there is there is some weird shit. Yeah. Well, back we were talking there. about the stag films I did yeah. back in the seventies. I mean, those were very odd. You know, it was a weird well, time in my life. I mean, we all had to pay the rent. Right? Yeah. I, I don't judge. Well, that's you know how I got most of my friends. You know, yeah. It was, it was a good time. <laughs> But uh, give people a little bit of, of your background because you're you're an actual comedian as mm-hmm. opposed to a libertarian that's trying to be funny. Honestly, thank you very much yeah. because that that is how I view it. I, yeah. view, I view myself as a comedian who happens to be libertarian rather than the other way around. And I and I don't and, and if you're 
I think anybody that's looking to be political and they're like, and maybe I can weaponize it with humor. You're just sit out. Don't yeah. even bother trying to do it. If you're trying to, if you you want to use comedy as an agitprop, it's not going to be funny. Don't even bother. Um, yeah, I uh, you know I've kind of I've been both political and comedic for a very long time. Um, I, uh, I I wrote kind of. Uh, knock off Dave Barry columns when I was in college and I was doing a lot of comedy writing and humor writing then. Uh, and I came up here to D.C. in 09 maybe, maybe 2010, I don't remember exactly, but I worked for the House of Representatives um, and I was doing stand-up at night. And so I was, I was being political simultaneously while learning how to be funny. Do you ever admit who you worked for? Sure. No, I'm happy to. Like, we can kind of get into that because, yeah. like, like I think I think our worlds probably collided about the time I left. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, uh, I worked for Blue Dogs, who I still like. I, I I would love for the Blue Dog Caucus to like resurge and and like carve out a space in the Democratic the, Party. The Blue Dogs are extinct in the I, Democratic yes, Party. Yes, I, as, as I sometimes say, I think like the remaining Blue Dogs, like one is in hiding on Tatooine, the other <laughs> one's on Dagobah. Yeah. I have been like run out of town. Uh, the Blue, and if you're unfamiliar with this at home, Blue Blue Dogs were. At the time, they would have called themselves conservative Democrats. I think that that branding has has been uh, modified enough in the Trump years that they're, they're now moderate. They Democrats. were wild eyed and obsessed about crazy things like balancing the budget. Yes, thank which, you. Which which is, which is a I mean that that species is extinct in both parties now. So. Well, they did they did have a little bit of an uptick in the in the midterm elections. The the the, the two things. The group that got hammered that bothered me. I like the Problem Solvers Caucus, which tends to be like kind of anti-label, pragmatic Republicans, moderate Republicans, and uh, they got hammered. But the the Blue Dogs picked up some seats, so I'm I remain ever hopeful that that wing will become ascendant again. Uh, but yeah, I like them. I, I worked for two Blue Dogs. I started out for Dan Boren, who is a, a congressman from Oklahoma, and then I wound up working for Tim Holden um, from Pennsylvania, and then I went off and uh, got a master's degree in, in Edinburgh in international politics. And I thought that I was going to come back and be a bureaucrat. And I did come back for a little bit. And then I, I kind of I thought about it. And I'd been doing stand-up in Edinburgh as well. And I went, you know, I don't, I would rather be funny. I'm just going to go be funny. So I, I was here for about a year. And I finally went, there's no real purpose for me being here. So I went up to New York, wound up becoming a TV writer, um, doing stand-up up there. And uh, and then it keeps it keeps weaving back together. I, I actually just left New York this summer and moved down to Austin, yeah. um, which is basically Brooklyn with cowboy hats. Uh, and had not anticipated being political, and then got a call from the Blaze, and they offered uh, to give me my own show, and I went, okay, I think I think that could be interesting. Yeah, and we are sort of the um, token libertarians at Blaze TV, although mm-hmm. although Glenn Beck certainly dabbles in in his own sort of emerging libertarianism, and and I and I encourage that, and, and maybe sure. you do as well. Yeah, although I, I will say that it's it's been really interesting the last few years. Um, I, I find that I am less interested in policy now than I used to be. I'm more interested in, in heuristics and how people think. Yeah. Um, uh, I I find that um, while there's overlap between libertarians and progressives on a lot of social issues, and there's overlap with conservatives and libertarians on a lot of economic issues, there is a different mindset. Um, and I find that there are a lot of conservatives that I know that I would describe as tolerant conservatives, but they're still very conservative in their mindset. And it's this... It's a worldview that is um, kind of constantly coming back to this idea of civilization versus other or barbarism or entropy. But civilization is under attack is kind of, I think, the internal conservative mantra. Whereas yeah. I think the libertarian thing is, is it voluntary or is it forced? Because that's what I'm generally on the lookout for. It's like like one of my friends described uh, IGA, the International Grocers Association, as a socialist institution. And I nearly hit him. 
I was like, no, it's not. It's it's a voluntary cooperative of like they can do whatever they want. I'll go buy vegetables from them. That's not socialist because there yeah, aren't guns yeah. involved forcing you to buy their tomatoes. Um, yeah. Well, I think that you know this. Uh, you know, you talk about about the mindset and the way that that people process information, and and language has to be part of that. But I, I feel like uh, comedians first, but even libertarians, you know, we're we're either Switzerland or we're on a different planet altogether when we're watching this. This this increasingly hostile tribal warfare yeah. between the the right and the left. Let's accept yeah. that. that. What a right great glorious Manichaean battle! So happy to be involved yeah. in that. Yeah. It's, it's like the Game of Thrones, and and you know at some point there'll be a dragon, and and I don't know what happens then. But you know, I actually just did an episode this week on Game of Thrones, and I was I was talking to my friend who actually I think I I don't know if he was a blue dog, but he's a Democrat that I knew back when I was in the house, and I was describing like I really like Varys in Game of Thrones mm-hmm. because I feel like. Every day, I'm I'm walking into the sort of the you know the the overall ether of, of political media, and people are like so. Do you hate Starks or do you hate Lannisters? And I'm like, well, like, you know, I rather like Lord Hickenlooper. He's a good dude, and I like Hickenlooper, and like I like you know Meister Flake. He's all right. And and then but they they're wanting me to engage in this just like killing each other with pitchforks hatred that I I have no part in, and I don't really like either team. And I'm not on either team, so it is a it is a weird thing for those of us that aren't really on the the left right spectrum. And I don't I I don't think of it in terms of binary options. Yeah. Um, for those of us that aren't a part of that, it's a really weird thing. Like, do do you find I find that everyone thinks I am a pleasant visitor from the other team when I talk to them. So my conservative friends believe I'm a a like kind of moderate progressive. My progressive friends think that I'm a moderate conservative, and I'm like, no, I'll maybe the moderate bit, but I'm not conservative or progressive i'm not really on that thing but they're so they're so happy to fight each other that they're wanting to suck people into the battle yeah yeah i I don't get the pleasant part but i get the rest like he's (laughs) he's definitely not one of us yeah 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 and uh we'll we'll let him we'll let him join for now but we we may have to kill him off later i I think i might i just might always be alan combs everywhere i go like i just everywhere i'm always the visiting team yeah but you know, I think I mean I, th- I think comedians um, have always been sort of the the tip of the spear in terms of of using language in ways that uh, you have to connect with your audience. You you don't get to preach to the choir um, because if if people don't understand what you're saying, they're not going to laugh. And that's something I think both sides are missing. Is like there's 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 a there's a there's a vernacular problem. That, that we're using words that they don't understand and, and vice versa. And that, that's part of what tribalism is all about. You're, you're preaching to your tribe, almost not wanting the other team to even understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, one, one of the big revelations I had the last few few months, just describing my all the stuff I was just complaining about. I yeah. mentioned that to one of my friends. Um, and I was describing some situation in which it seemed to me that I was in agreement with whatever other clique of friends that I had, uh, and they were mad at me, and I didn't understand this. And my friend went, well, it's because they don't care what you say. They, they just care how you say it. Like, your your beliefs are immaterial. It's your vocabulary. Yeah. And yeah. I went, that explains so much, because I'm not using the right vocabulary. I speak Republican, I've been told. Like, I sound more like a Republican in terms of the, the terms I use, even though I don't think like one or even vote like one. Uh, but but we're living in that, that uh, yeah, that vernacular is important. I think that there's a, a significant tribal element to that as well, where we do have this intense tribal dynamic at work, and you want to be a part of a team, uh, and a lot of that, that group identity comes from 
have to having a team to hate. There has to be a group you hate. And then you want to just constantly um, show your fidelity to the team by hating the other team and yeah. doing it loudly and constantly. Um, that's definitely there. I'll say comedy Comedy is better about that in that, um, particularly in stand-up, there are a lot of stand-up comedians that just enjoy ruffling an audience. They enjoy, like uh, Bill Burr, who I think he's probably a progressive Democrat. I don't know, but he also— clear- he, he says he is. He is, yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's—I'll he's, say he, he is— um, He's fairly skeptical of a lot of the more Byzantine progressive theology coming out these days. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, though, if you watch him, he will try very hard to alienate his audience at the right. beginning of a set. And then right. he'll reel them back in. And he, he gets a kick out of that. And I, I enjoy watching that. I also find that um, comedians in general tend to be very pro-freedom of speech. Um, uh, I, and in my experience, um, like really getting into the world of comedy, you know, there's, there's improv, there's stand-up. There's maybe comedy writing or sketch and things like that. Um, improv comedians tend to be far more group-oriented and are far more concerned about the effects on the audience than um, the intent, whereas stand-up comedians tend to be much more focused on intent and tend to defend other stand-up comedians. So if I get up and I, I say something that um, either is inadvertently inappropriate or might even be inappropriate, a lot of the time the stand-up response is like, he's on stage, he's got the mic, shut up. Like, this is fine. He can, we're allowed to do that here. And that's, that to me is like, I was, I was talking to Dave Rubin on, on a recent show about, about one, one of the downsides of, of the democratization of the internet is that we, we don't have that, that common space where we can all just hang out and do something together without it devolving into politics. And, and, and you know, comedy for applause is this new thing where everybody has to sort of put their, put their political philosophy on their sleeves and it's always it's always progressive today there's it's very difficult to to find anything else um but there was a day when when someone like george carlin or monty python um, things that that were like we all could laugh at that because they're were, they're were actually making fun of all of us mm-hmm. they didn't just pick on one side or the other and 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 i feel like in a, and when i ask if comedy can save the world that's what i'm thinking about because because comedians are the ones that break down those 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 uh, predispositions, those those biases, even you know the bigotry that someone might have for some somebody or something that's just different, and by by sort of ripping the bark off of it and making fun of everyone, it 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 actually brings us together in a weird way. Yeah, I did think you, you're buy, right you about that? that. No, I, I think you're right about that, and I and I think you see that with a lot of comedians. Like I did, um, you know Todd Berry. No, um, Todd Todd Berry's very very funny comedian. Um, I've done some stuff with him on Earwolf before when I've been on um, Fake the Nation, but I've listened to some of his albums where he'll, and Todd's very progressive, very very progressive. But he'll like he'll go do stand up in Mobile, Alabama, and um, he'll mention this, and then people in New York will be like, "Well, good luck. I'm in Mobile, Alabama," and he'll like immediately slam them for being, you know, presumptive, bigoted, all these different things. You know, call them fake liberals. Right, right. What he would call them. But right. nonetheless, though, he's not, he doesn't have, from what I can tell, he has no no traction or traction for um, people that are, are just looking to shit on a group they don't like. He's not, and, and I think there's a lot of that there. Um, I think in general, com- comedians like killing sacred cows. Yeah. Uh, and, and comedy tends to be anti-authoritarian by nature. And we're in a weird spot right now where, um, the head of our civil institution, Trump, you can be anti-authoritarian by opposing Trump, but at the same time, I'd say culturally, we become very, very authoritarian from the left. 
Um, and at the moment, I don't think those two things have been sussed out. I think that will happen, though, where we'll reach a peak period where people won't become conservatives or they won't necessarily become libertarians, but I think they'll kind of get burnt out on, on some of the um, more extremes of sort of political correctness. You can only say X if you're from Y group and that kind of thing. I, th I think that that's not going to stick around for a long time. It's interesting that you brought up George Carlin um, because I do think that Carlin is uh, emblematic of a kind of flip that's happened in the comedy world where um, when, I mean, he was doing comedy forever, right? But like, let's say in the 70s, 60s and 70s, I think having having been born in the 80s myself, I think that um, America was much more of a safe space um, outside of comedy in regards to politics. And so you kind of, you went to a comedy club to be challenged. You'd go see George Carlin to get ruffled. Yeah. And now, no, everyone won't shut the hell up outside of comedy. And so you're seeing like kind of Jim Gaffigan's come in and he's like, you can just come laugh about donuts for an hour. And so I think you're going to see that. I also think you're going to see a resurgence of Monty Python humor. Um, we haven't had any, any Zucker Brothers movies in a few years. I think they're going to come back. Um, uh, when Steve Martin really came into his own, it was at the tail end of Watergate. And everybody was very cynical and, and very snarky. And he had nothing to do with that and was just very fun and you know very absurdist. And I, I think that we're reaching peak snark very rapidly. I don't know quite what the dates will be, but I, I think that at the conclusion of the Trump administration, be it in you know a year and a half or, or five years, you'll you'll see that kind of finally taper off and you'll see absurdity start rising again, yeah. much like the Blue Dog Caucus. And yes. that will be when I shine, Matt. I would, I would love to see uh, peak snark end because be it's, it's tiresome. Yes. It really is. I was reading uh, this, this, I think it was 2014, Chris Rock did this interview with New York Magazine where he, he, this is where he famously said, I don't do college campuses mm -hmm. anymore because they're too conservative. And of course he didn't mean politically conservative. He doesn't use the word, but he's talking about this sort of new left-wing fundamentalism. Yeah, where, the stamp out the blasphemy. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's this whole hierarchy of, 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 of both privilege and you know the the burden of victimhood that that determines who you can make fun of. And by the time you get through the list, you, the only people you can make fun of are are white guys like me. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you and I are at the bottom of the hierarchy I'm, of victimhood. I'm fair game, yeah. but but everyone else is 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 ranked somewhere in this in this protected victimhood. Well, class. and I'll, I'll add to that. It's also um, one of the things that I occasionally I, I get irritated with my comedian friends on of all political strides. There's a lot of talk about punching up versus punching down. Yeah. Um, you need to punch up, which is if you're unfamiliar with the term, you need to, you know, go, go after go after the big people. Don't go after the little people. And I'm like, I don't really view comedy as punching. Like, I'm just, I don't really like fighting, and I don't like, I'll make fun of people, you know, in my comedy, but I also, like, I, the majority of it's not really pointed at any particular group, and, and even then when I'm doing it, I, I try to make fun of ideas more than I try to make fun of people. Um, I just, I don't really like using it as, as an assault. I, I, I view it as, like, a, I like comedy in that it can make people think differently and entertain them. And those things are very pleasant, but I don't really like using it so much as a weapon. And, uh, and, and, then, and then, yes, when you, when you add in all of these other things, I am, I'm in no position uh, myself to be able to really comment, given that um, I have inherited privilege much like original sin, and uh, I reek of it, and, uh, and therefore, you know, I, I should just sort of apologize and retreat into the shadows. You know, that might be a whole stand-up bit, to be honest with you. Well, what, like, what, I've, what I've been doing on my show, we, we've only done it a couple of times, but I have a, um, a character that I do called Father Michael O. Grimsley from the Church of Woke. Uh, and I feel like that's a huge target. 
yeah. because I think that generally anytime someone is full of moral certitude, and there's plenty of that amongst conservative circles, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of moral certitude with specifically the woke people and progressivism, then that becomes a target. Uh, and uh, um, I like, and I, I look at it, like my, my undergraduate was in history and religious studies. So I look at like wokeness and I'm like, that is straight up a religion. That is one, like that is a theological bent. Yeah. And, and so I look at that and I'm like, well, I, that's, I can start making fun of that for the exact same reason that justifiably we were making fun of the moral majority in the eighties and nineties. All these people that yeah, were getting worked is, up about Saturday Night Live or whatever. is born again, right? Yeah. You're, you're finally, you're, woke. you're, you've been awoken. You've been yeah. awakened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, um. So so let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about your. So you're not doing as much stand up now, but you're but you're doing this this daily podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, something's off with Andrew something's Heaton. off with Andrew Heaton. Yeah, and and, and even the name itself, like uh, self depreciating humor, is my favorite. Where you know the the, the first victim of, of any shot that you take is yourself. But how what's that like producing producing something every day and having a conversation? Because I only have to do it once a yeah. week. Yeah. And you get to drink whiskey. And You've really yes. figured out a good format, yeah, Matt. Totally. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's in my contract. I'll, I'll, I'll say over. Oh, I should have put that in mind. Uh, I'll say you know overall, I enjoy doing it. It's it's a wonderful thing that I get paid to be clever for a living. It takes a long time to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I got to bring on a lot of neat guests. I really enjoy that. Um, there is a uh, a little bit of burnout from the output um, in that um, I have to come up with a topic every day. We need to find a guest every day, which is f- uh, further difficult at my own instigation because. The, the main reason that I'm doing my podcast, like when I worked for Reason, I was, I was promoting a, uh, a policy or ideological agenda. It was mm-hmm. a pro-liberty thing I was doing when I was making funny videos at Reason. Now I'm, I'm really pushing a, a temperamental agenda. I'm, I'm try, like the, the point of the podcast is good and intelligent people can disagree on matters of substance. And in order for me to fulfill that remit, I need to bring on people I disagree with or at least have a different viewpoint than I do on a regular basis. And, and that becomes... Um, that takes a lot of time and effort because it's, you know, if we're, if we're going to do a week and I'm like, well, we don't have any progressives on this week. We need to get somebody that sees things differently than I do. Or, or you know, conversely, at the beginning of the program, the, the problem actually was that I, I didn't have any Trump supporters on for a very long time. I think it was yeah. maybe, you know, like, like 40 episodes in or something when I finally had a Trump supporter because I was bringing in like libertarians and moderate Republicans and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'll say also doing um, – we do a we do uh, or I do a, a comedic sketch in every show, and I usually do Monday through Wednesday. I do at least a couple of comedic sketches, and that's um, a lot of comedy output. That's um, a lot of work. Yeah, doing that's yeah. that's what that's like uh, eight comedy sketches a week or so. Um, yeah. That's a fair amount of comedy sketches. Uh, if if we were if we were if we had a larger staff, we would first of all we'd be able to tighten it a lot more. Even if I was writing it, we'd have more editorial capacity. Or, uh, and uh, and then like if you look at any other daily program, they've usually got like you know, nine writers or that kind of thing. So it's, it's a lot of output, but it is fun. And again, I get to be paid to be clever, which is a, 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 a neat and rare occurrence in the world of comedy. And it, it seems to be performing it. it, it yeah. The, 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 the viewership is growing and, and things it, are okay. It, it is. And I'm also, um, I am really, really heartened by the people that are coming to the podcast. Um, because as you noted, you know, you, you and I are not conservatives, and we're not Republicans, but we're on a predominantly conservative network, and I wasn't really sure if I was going to strike a chord there or not. Uh, and um, I, I also, when I first started doing it, I got kind of worried um, if, like, you know, I, I brought on a friend of mine that's a transgender comedian. About two weeks ago, we, we talked about a, a carbon tax, which I'm in favor of, and I didn't think that that would be a very popular thing. But I'm finding that the people that like the program are coming largely for the temperamental element of it. They, they enjoy having thoughtful people 
talk about things and then crack jokes as opposed to people fighting. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's great. If you're coming because you just want like a smart, funny guy to like not yell at people, I can produce that for a very long time. Well, it's, it's a, ra- it's a, ra- I call it the counter counter revolution and, and I'm trying to do the same thing, but it, it, it violates all the rules of, of modern internet TV or whatever we call mm-hmm. this thing we're doing. It, like almost everything is, is rage against the other team. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's name calling and it's just, just constantly at volume 11 just being pissed off. And, and I, I watch guys like, and, and I, was, I was inspired somewhat by, by Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson. I, I went to a Jordan Peterson concert and, and it's just a civil Do they call it a concert? I do because yeah. he's playing in the same place that that Springsteen played in, okay. in the late seventies. I'm like, there's a, a freaking academic who's not a he's not even slightly funny. Like he's a he's a very thoughtful guy that just sort of spouts ideas mm-hmm. uh, extemporaneously, and and I love it. But but more importantly, he's filling concert halls with with this kind of thing. So so my my theory is is that there is an audience, an untapped audience, a a desperate and hungry audience for a civil conversation about ideas. Even I'm even letting you endorse a carbon tax on this show, which uh, you know <laughs> that's we, right. I can just I can see this momentary slight like we may have five percent increase of your eyebrow. Yeah. You would, uh, no, let him talk. Okay. Yeah, did you see the twitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I, I got in trouble. I had one of my progressive friends on the show, and he was brave enough to come on. And it it's not easy for a progressive to come on to Blaze TV and risk his or her reputation with, with their community. Um, but, but I, I just wanted to, for people to, to try to understand where an honest, good, progressive guy sure. comes from. And, and I happen to think that there are common values there. I'm, I'm not going to convince my friend that he's not really a progressive and he, he, he's probably unmovable, but there is a vast audience of people who are trying to figure out where they fit. And they're looking at the tribal war saying, you know what? I don't want to be part of either. I don't want to be with the Lannisters yeah. or the Starks. I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to fight. I just want to live my life and and. I don't want to wake up at six a.m. and immediately check Twitter to see what the president did, so I can yell about it for yeah. the rest of the day and then go to the therapist about the things I yelled about. Yeah, like weirdly enough, not everybody wants to do that. So you're you're taking a big risk by doing what you're doing because um, there's there's not a lot of evidence yet that that you can you can perform on the internet by being thoughtful and reasonable. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right about that. And I'm, I'm, that is something I think a lot about is, is the risk of that. Cause I would, uh, I thought I was going to be done with political media and I, there might very well come a point where I'm just like, this is not worth the bile. Like, yeah. like good luck to all of you. Like, like way to run out the guy that was willing to talk to you. I'm deleting my Twitter account. Yeah. Like, like that might well happen. Um, I'll say that I am emboldened by two things though. One, like podcasts in general. Um, I mean, I, I worked in TV for a while and in, and in TV, we didn't, I don't think we had a single segment that was longer than eight minutes. And then you divide that by however many people you have on the segment. So um, on uh, Kennedy, the show I most recently worked at, usually two to three people on camera at any given time. So mm-hmm. um, you're getting three and a half to four minutes to talk about some very important issue. It's not designed around, I mean, there's no reflection of Kennedy. This is a critique of the medium. Right. Um, the medium doesn't lend itself to thoughtful analysis. It, it lends itself to shouting bumper stickers because you don't have time to do otherwise. Um 
But you look at like Joe Rogan or someone like that, he's doing gangbusters. I mean, yeah. gangbusters, far better than a number of, of very impressive cable television news and, and, and uh, legacy media. I think that's a phenomenon. The, the other thing, and, and I don't know how to tap this. I am working very hard to do it. Uh, but um, there are a ton of people that aren't a part of that binary. And we've been, if you're looking at it from the outside, it sure looks like um, America is very polarized and very extreme right now because the loud people that write, in, and, I, and I'll, I'll back up, I think if there's a binary in America, it's not between left and right. It's between people who type in all caps on Twitter and the rest <laughs> of us. And uh, the, the people who type in all caps on Twitter, they're the ones that get the attention. Yep. Um, they're the ones that are going to be more interesting to write about and talk about. Um, there was a, a Pew study that came out maybe six months ago that um, did a lot of extensive polling, and it, it endeavored to um, kind of figure out where everybody was. Now, they, they used a spectrum, and I don't, I, again, I don't think that a spectrum is a very helpful way of doing it because it presupposes that you are either some degree of conservative or some degree of progressive, and a lot of us aren't. That said, though, uh, it found that about 15% of the American public was um, a progressive activist, uh, and about 15% voted for Trump and was excited to vote for Trump. Yeah. And then there were varying degrees in between there, where you know you're you're a Democrat, but you're not really worked up about identity politics, or you're a Republican, but you're not really bothered by Mexicans. Like there's like there there is this and then there's a pretty wide swath towards the center that just doesn't like loud noises, which mm-hmm. is about where I'm at now. Yeah, I'm yeah. kind of I'm in that camp. Like I, I it, it it would have that test would have identified me uh, according, because you're getting older. Because like, I'm getting older, I don't like loud, loud noises, noises scare you. But my, my point though is there is this this wide swath of people that I don't feel are being catered to. Yeah. And I and I think that there's like I, I mentioned on my program, I at the end of it, uh, every program I say like, you know, subscribe, rate and review it. That way other people can find this political orphanage because I feel like a political orphan. I don't feel like I really have a team. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to kind of band together with just other thoughtful, kind people and to have conversations. And we don't even have to agree on stuff. But um, I do find that occasionally I can, I can reach out and, and someone is like kind of lights up and is like, oh, right, yeah, I'm, I'm part of that thing. I'm part of that like great un, unwashed mass of people that aren't a part of the culture war. Uh, and I, I don't know how to reach them, unfortunately, Matt, because it's hard to get people like psyched about moderation. Like yeah. it's there, there yeah. aren't there aren't lightning rods for moderation the way there are for uh, for for the political zealots out there. But I think there might be an opportunity to kind of extend that direction. Well, I, have, I mean, I have theories about it, and, and we experiment with it as well. But you know, this is where your your career choice I think comes in in real handy because. I think I think the way you you get to that vast I hate to call it the middle but let's accept that let's accept that spectrum thing. Um, they're they're not that interested in politics. They're they're not they don't process information through economic reasoning or yeah. or public policy debates or any of that stuff. And I'm an economist by training, so I'm fundamentally handicapped in communicating with actual people because mm-hmm. because everything to me you're wanting to like is, show people graphs everything is a, everything is a cost benefit for me so mm-hmm. like and and but but I, I i've come to learn in my old age that that's not how normal people process the world so um you know things that are engaging and entertaining and and values based absolutely i mean there there are there are core human values that i think i think libertarians nail pretty well you know don't hurt anybody and don't take their stuff these these are things that your mom taught you, mm-hmm. and if mom said it, you know it's true. It, it's it's an axiom of of human of the human condition. Um, but when it comes to like politics and and voting for this guy or that gal, 
that's when everyone divides and they go back into their into into their fight corners mm-hmm. and they start thinking about things. So the you know, can we reach the vast middle? Yes, but it has to be it has to be human stories, it has to be entertaining, it has to be fun. It it can't make you feel bad afterwards. Yeah. Unless you're talking about like I do think it's important to point out that that sometimes socialism turns out pretty bad. Yeah. And there's no way to 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 sort of make that fun, but you know those those history lessons are probably important as well. I think you're right about that. There's um um I mean I I do think it it's this weird I I think um I'm I'm kind of I'm very bad at picking uh I, I'm bad at picking the winning team like like because like when I became Blue Dog Democrat like right. my my reasoning going into it was terrible. I was like oh this is great because I don't really feel like I fit in with the Republicans I don't feel like I fit in with the Democrats but these Blue Dogs they want to ba- balance the budget but they like gay people which kind of libertarian and it's and it's right and everybody hated us because we were if you're a democrat we're just friggin traitors that are basically republicans and if you're a republican you're a democrat right and then i left that and i was like oh libertarians well everybody <laughs> like them right because they like markets and gay people so like everybody and like no it's this everybody wants to weigh a lot of and now i'm gravitating more towards that moderate thing which i am discovering uh everyone that's a partisan hates moderates because they view them as this sort of mushy, intransigent uh, inertia, and they just hate them. And I'm like, ah, I don't, where do you want me to go? What, what, well, it's even worse with politics because people people absolutely get defensive when you say the word libertarian, they immediately think libertarian party, big L libertarian. Mm-hmm. And they immediately think um, whether or not you supported Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is said, Gary Johnson stole the votes that would have won the election for my guy. And you're like, no, that's not actually how it works. If if people have a choice that they're excited about, they might show up to vote. Um, and I think third and fourth options would be a nice thing in politics because um, most people um, feel completely alienated by these two choices decided by somebody else. And I, I think I would endorse any candidate for president that made ranked choice voting their top goal. Like I would, I would like potentially even like. I, I would go pretty far if they if they tried to disassemble that. Yeah, I would even be happy if we if we sort of broke up the the two party duopoly that decides. You know, get, get this: the Democrats and Republicans control who, if anybody, gets to be on stage in a presidential debate mm-hmm. with Democrats and Republicans. And as it turns out, they don't want anyone else on stage. Weirdly enough, well, and I'll add to that too. One of the things, actually, to go back to comedy, one of the things that uh, it took me a while to figure out, and it really surprised me, was. Um, how deeply defensive people are of their their tribe, but also of whatever system their tribe is in place in. If you start to call it, like I, I find that um, it makes people very uncomfortable if I don't fit in a box. Like right. pe- people like, I, do you experience this whenever you're talking to anybody? They, they're like, yeah, 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 shut up. What are you? What are you? Right. They really want to know what label. That way they can know whether they dismiss you or embrace you. Right. And if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. Really. They, don't, they don't like that. It makes them uncomfortable. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance. With comedy, um, I think everybody that goes into comedy knows that everybody relates to death and sex. You know, there's, there's, we're all on some level, we're a little bit afraid of, of death, and all of us at some point have been aroused. So we've, we've got those things. They're fairly. I'm more afraid of sex. You're more afraid of sex, yeah. Looking forward yeah, yeah. to death. Yeah, yeah. You are a core demographic for my, uh, my, my nerdy group of, of uh, comedian friends. Um, but th- those things didn't surprise me. The thing that surprised me doing stand up was how worked up people get if you question team membership um i like like jerry seinfeld's got a great thing about um you know why are we like you're you're rooting for this you know the jets but like are the people from i don't know where the jets are from are they from cleveland i don't know where where are the jets from 
say we're, we're, we're surrounded Dallas by Cowboys. people. Dallas Cowboys. I'm on firm footing here. Dallas Cowboys. You like? It's the New York Jets. The New York Jets. Yeah. yeah. Jets. You know, are the people from New York? No, they're not. Are the, are the owners from New York? Well, they live in New Jersey. You know, so we're we're rooting for the jerseys. Uh, I have found that when I do stand up, I have um, like I'll do jokes about agnosticism and things. I've never really had anybody be like because really, I've never had anybody come up and be like, "How dare you?" Like about religion mm-hmm. or death or sex, but. When I start getting people to question, like, well, why are like why why are you a part of this team? Why is this team? people lose their minds? They are not okay with that. If you start poking them, and you're like, I'm just all I want to know is why are you on this team? Why is this team important? What if like I don't see the team that way at all? People do not care for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it is a it's it's been a fascinating thing to just observe from a comedic standpoint. You know, I like to believe that there's I mean, there's a form of tribalism that is that is very healthy. So I'm like a, I'm like a deadhead, and and going to a Grateful Dead concert is it it's a it's a family gathering. It's it's a it's a it's a gathering of the tribe, and everybody speaks the same language, and they know all the words to the songs. The same with the New York Jets. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not. Or really? like Star Trek or something yeah. like that, where it's it's not exclusive. Star it's Trek, not, it's or, not zero sum game. And and there's there's some value in that because you know people you you read everybody arguing about the last episode of Game of Thrones, and people are so passionate about it. And like, it's it's a TV show, guys. <laughs> it's going to be okay because it's fiction. But but people get all passionate about it, and I, I think that's a healthy way to sort of channel your tribalism because you're not actually invading yeah. Canada or something like that. Yeah. You know? By the way, we we need a wall on the in the north, right? Keep out um, the wildlings, of course. I mean, uh, Donald Trump keeps putting out all of these these memes about Game of Thrones, and he clearly doesn't understand that the north <laughs> is where the walkers come from. Yeah, that's a good point. They're not coming from Dorne. No, Dorne's not. not the issue. Yeah, um, I I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I think um, I uh, there there is a like having a community. I think is a very important thing. We have that deep craving to be a part of a community. We want to be. We want to belong someplace. Um, there, there's a, a great sense of comfort and joy in in, in being part of a crowd. Um, I like w- without being hyperbolic, I think there's a sports gene and I don't have it. Like I, I like I've I've got some mutant variant where I just I don't get it when I go to a football game. I see twenty thousand individuals. I don't like I the last time I went to a, a football game with my dad in college, I started clapping, everybody got mad at me. And they're like, why are you clapping? I'm like, well the guy ran really fast. And they're like, well, he's on the other team. I was like, but he ran really fast. I was very impressed. I don't have that. I can only really get that um, if I like. I can get it through singing. If I go to like a choir, or I go to um, there's a bar in New York where we sing Broadway musicals that I really like. I can get that sense of group, um, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. Um, I, I agree with you. I think um, when it's not a zero sum game, or when it's not predicated on hate, because I right. think that that's the flip side of tribalism. Is I love my group because I hate your group, and right. I I think that that is such a intrinsic and woeful state of humanity that. Um, you know, the second we, we all seem to kind of get along when we hated the communists, and then uh, things are going pretty well. But then the towers came down, and now we've got somebody else to hate. And then once that kind of receded, we're like, "Well, I need to hate somebody. I guess I hate you, Logan. I hate you." And and I well, I think he's, it's he's terrible. Hateable. He's hateable. He's hateable. Yeah, he really is. Uh, but but yeah, there's definitely positive outlets for it. Yeah. And by by the way, I, I love going to football games because I feel like it's a legitimate excuse for day drinking. <laughs> outside. I thought you'd just be marveling at like ticket prices or something. Like you're sitting there going, oh, what a what a great example of capitalism at work to bring people together. Yeah, running the numbers and saying, I don't get this. Can I, can I back up a little bit? Yes. A minute ago, you said that um, you find that liber- the term libertarianism immediately sets off alarm bells and that kind of thing. Um, do, you, do you tend to use that term? Like I find, I like the term classical liberal 
because mm-hmm. I find that um, if I say classical liberalism, people rightly assume I'm talking about like Locke uh, and you know Bastiat, Edmund Burke, some clutch of people like that. Whereas if I say libertarian, they might reasonably infer that I mean anarchist, which I do not. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I kind of feel that that's a more a, a better term. And, and then there too, if I say like I am a classical liberal and I'm in favor of a carbon tax, you can kind of see how I got there. But if I say I'm a libertarian and in favor of a carbon tax, it's like, oh, so you're just a bad libertarian. I don't know. Like, we're, we're, what kind of terms do you like to use? A, a failed libertarian. A failed libertarian. Yeah. Just a lino. So it's funny because uh, in 2013, I wrote a book, Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a huge argument, not huge, but a substantial argument with the publisher because they wanted the word libertarian on the book cover. And I'm like, nobody nobody uses that word. Nobody knows what it means. Um, but they, of course, were interested in selling books, and they thought putting the L word on the cover um, and, and— Clean and, up at the Cato bookstore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but of course, I'm, I'm more with Hayek. I'd rather use the word liberal, except nobody knows what I mean if I yeah. say that I'm a liberal in sort of the European classic— sense and you know classical liberalist oh, yeah. reminds yeah. me of classic coke and that was a complete <laughs> failure so we're we're sort of we're a little bit nameless as well so I, I do use the word libertarian and if i get that arched eyebrow i say small l small l yeah i'm, I'm agnostic about parties i hope the libertarian party performs better in the future but um, this isn't about parties at all this is about a set of values that i have that that really don't want to tell you how to live your life as long as you don't mess with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I think maybe, maybe the term liberal is is modifying because I'm I am finding in my own usage and in terms of media that I consume, that progressive now tends to denote the um, the main label and animus of the left. Whereas liberal, I, I find, is kind of declining in vogue. Liberal almost is becoming a neo, uh, a neoliberal term, yeah. which I and I don't fully understand what neoliberalism, but it seems we're cousins with it. Like yeah. maybe I'm a neoliberal. I don't know. It's, um, a, it's a pejorative way of saying libertarian, particularly in Europe. If you're a neoliberal, you're one of those wild-eyed free market guys. Oh, so I might, okay. So I might you, be, you I'm might, at least buddies you, with them. You might be a neoliberal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I, could, I, could, I could see that happening. I'd like a word without sort of a qualifier or, um, you know, a, a made-up word. Like Hayek said that the word libertarian is, is kind of a made-up word, and he didn't like it for that reason. But, you know... I, I think it's probably better to avoid the labels altogether and just talk about the values. I agree. Um, and, like I, and, and make people wonder, like, well, that, that makes so much sense. Wonder what that guy is. Like, how does he identify? I, I was thinking about this, like, uh, I think yesterday, because I'm, I'm up in D.C., and so I'm, I'm talking to various friends and things, and I thought about it, and I was like, I, th- I think I could make a pretty good argument that um, I am functionally, functionally a, a liberal Democrat who thinks that politicians are sociopathic and incompetent. So like if you're a liberal, but right. you also think right. that everybody running the government is an incompetent sociopath, like yeah. how would that worldview manifest? I think you'd get to where I'm at of like, yay, gay people, like transgender, come on over, drink whiskey with me. Don't put the government in charge of that thing. That's a terrible idea because they're going to run it into the ground. I, I think that's that's sort of where I think that sweet spot is because, you know, everybody all my progressive friends worry about market failure and they, you know, they worry about corporations having too much power and they, they believe that that's that wealth sort of coagulates at the top. And, and I don't necessarily believe that, but I know that those rich people then go to the government um, like Jeff Bezos might and, and get a special deal. If you're Mark Zuckerberg, you, you want regulation, not because you care about, about hateful speech, but because you would love to, to kill the next guy who's trying to build oh, a better yeah. platform. 
Um, so that collusion between big government and big business, the the inevitable abuse of power that that allows um, Daenerys to to torch the entire city of Westeros with a dragon. Like no one should have a dragon. Yeah. That's that's my philosophy. No one should have a dragon. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know Matt Welch. You're probably friends yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, Matt had a great metaphor that I've stolen um, that he did at a Reason Dinner a couple of years ago where he talked about how um, power is almost like Frodo's ring. And, like, you know, Republicans want to use it to, like, force society to be more moral. And Democrats want to use it to force markets to behave and stop the rich people. And, all and libertarians are like, throw it into the damn volcano. And, like, yeah. that's very much where I don't want accumulation of power. I, I Power worries me. I'm very anti-authoritarian. I, like, I don't—it's always very odd to me when I talk to people that have this idea of, like, no, power is good. It's just we can only elect people we agree with forever. I'm like, wait a minute. So your system is contingent upon you never losing an election. That's that's your system. Is that you you're going to be in a democracy, right. And you have to win every election forever. That's that's ridiculous. Like I don't I don't want that at all. So by now, everybody understands the title of your podcast. Something's off with Andrew Heaton. Uh, give us a shameless plug. If if people after, of course, they they download and subscribe to Kibbe on Liberty, um, should they subscribe to Something's Off? Yes, I think they should. I'll tell you why. Really? Okay. I, I think I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I while I, I think that you and I are probably politically simpatico. So if somebody's already listening, they're gonna they're gonna be in that that political headspace. But I think the the, the deeper thing that I'm I'm providing is it, it's going to be funny. I promise that you'll enjoy it. The the, the top of the show is always going to be funny. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I am consciously endeavoring to avoid this red team blue team histrionic rage thing going on right now and I I feel like there are a lot of people that are in the same camp that are that are probably political orphans like you and me Matt that don't really fit someplace uh, and on top of that maybe they've got a neighbor that they disagree with that they still like them and they're kind of mystified as to why they're supposed to like fear and hate them yeah. like come on over hang out with me we're gonna bring on some neighbors that we disagree with we'll have a good time um, we'll we'll learn some things, maybe change our minds, but we're, we're not going to be an echo chamber. We're not going to be peddling fear and hate. And this is how comedy saves the world. And this is how comedy saves the world. We're going to do it, gang. Sweet. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so we can reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.